Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. When you've found your place, please stand for the reading of God's word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that we do not know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not been yet been revealed. We know that, we, that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see as he sees it. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies him, himself just as he has pure. Let us pray. God, I just want to thank you for this day and for allowing all of us to come out here, Lord. And God, I would pray that if there were some lost souls out here that whichever pastor preaches today, their verse, their message would just, it would go to them and it would help them in their daily troubles, Lord, and help them to bring them to you. And God, I just want to thank you for allowing this country to be as it is because we aren't prosecuted for what we believe like other places, Lord. We have such freedom. And there's limitless things I could thank you for, but I don't have the time. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to continue in our series in 1 John titled, What is Real? What is real? Make sure you ask that question throughout life. What is real? Don't just take things as they are or as you're told they are, but we need to be thinkers. We need to be students of the Word of God because reality is actually revealed in Scripture. Moral reality is found in Scripture. The way that we should view the world is through the lens of Scripture, and I promise you that God's Word answers all of the hard questions of life. Because let's be honest, we all have questions, right? We all have questions about eternity. We all have questions about our purpose, who we are, what we're supposed to do in life. And many times we'll turn to all other places before we turn to the Word of God. And I want you to know this morning that Hollywood is not going to tell you the truth. The news media is not going to tell you the truth. Facebook is not going to tell you the truth. All of those are from a human perspective, and they lead to destruction. Only the Word of God brings life. You know, even Jesus said himself, he was the bread of life. And when you consume Jesus, when you consume his Word, that's where life comes from. So the title of the sermon today is Inside Out. Inside Out. It was so well read earlier, but I just want to share something with you, and I don't know if this ever happens to you or not, but on some occasions, I have four children, as you know, and sometimes they'll walk into the living room with their shirt on inside out. You know, go get dressed. Okay, they come back, and the, the tag is sticking out the back, and you see all the stitching and everything, and you know, honey, that's on backwards. You need, you need to turn that back right side out, right? Well, it's very easy to tell when someone has their clothes on inside out. I remember going to high school. You know, there was always a few in your class that they were great people, cool people, but sometimes they were just so oblivious to details that they would show up to school with their shirt inside out. 
You know, and you're like, you know, you love me, bless your heart, man, turn that inside out, right side out, you know. I can see your tag. You know, but here's the, here's the key, and this is what I want you to get from that, is that you can tell because the inside of your shirt will look different than the outside of your shirt. Well, you know, a lot of times humanity is the same way. We put on this show of who we are on the outside, but if God were to turn us inside out, we would look completely different. You would say, wait a minute, are you the same person? Are you the same person that I know? Because what's on the inside looks a lot different than the way you live, than the way people perceive you, than the way you communicate yourself to other people. I think it's important as we ask what is real, I think a a question that we need to ask today is, are we real? Are we for real as believers in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we truly become his children? Have we truly been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, there are people who proclaim to be Christians meeting all over planet Earth right now. Millions upon millions, maybe even a billion Christians meeting today in worship services. But I would dare say that a very small percentage of those actually have been transformed by the power of the gospel. If there were really a billion Christians on planet Earth like the statistics show, don't you think our world would be a little bit better off? If there were one billion people on planet Earth who had a heart to see lost people saved and actually took the gospel to work, took the gospel to their families, took the gospel to their neighbors, don't you think the world would look a little bit different? I think we have to be careful. Just because someone says they're a Christian, that does not mean they're real. That does not mean that what is appearing on the outside has actually happened on the inside. We have a faith that is an inside-out faith, okay? Jesus changes us from in here, and then it comes out, okay? The Christian faith is not like many other world religions where you have to fit into this mold of do's and don'ts. And if you do the right things and say the right things and go to the right places, then you're accepted in that religion. Christianity is the opposite. It says that first the change has to happen on the inside by the power of the Holy Ghost and then everything else in your life stems from that inward change. You know, the problem was, and Jesus encountered this many times in Scripture, is he would find religious elites, religious leaders who wore the right clothes and said the right things, did all the right stuff, but the the God of heaven, Jesus was God in the flesh, could see to the very dividing part of their soul and spirit, and he could see the wickedness that reigned within their hearts. And he would call them out, and he would call them hypocrites. He would say, listen, you're putting on a big show. You're not really mine. You don't really know the Father. You have never been changed. And I want this sermon to resonate this morning. Maybe you do know Jesus. Maybe you have truly been changed from the inside out, but you need a way to evaluate your family members, to evaluate your friends, because I've quit taking it at face value when someone tells me I'm a Christian. I don't leave the conversation there, because if you do, you are under the assumption that they understand what a true biblical Christian is, whereas most people do not. You need to go a step further and you say, oh, you're a Christian, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean that you're a Christian? And get them to explain what it means to be a Christian. They may perfectly well say, hey, there has been a time and a place in my life where I have trusted in Jesus based upon his death, burial, and resurrection as the payment for my sins. Good. You know Jesus. Then you know what the gospel is. But it may be someone else who says, well, you know, I grew up in church. Well, you know, I've I've been baptized. Or my dad was a preacher. Or, you know, I've always been taught the Ten Commandments. And they may honestly think that that makes them a Christian. 
Guys, that's not biblical Christianity. And if we don't ask the hard questions, and if we don't evaluate what is real, we're never going to get to that point with our lost loved ones, our lost family members. And I'll be the first one to tell you, the hardest people to share your faith with is going to be your family, your family members. Because they take great offense many times. I, I've shared with a few of my family members before, and I have, they have been very offended by the fact that I asked them for their testimony. And I believe a lot of times that that is an indicator that maybe they're not right with God. You know, because if you truly know Jesus, we understand the reality of heaven and hell, of an eternity beyond this life. And hey, I'm thankful when somebody asks me about my salvation. Because I know that it's because of people like that that I know Jesus right now. It was because I grew up in a home where my dad was very sure to tell me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I came to know my Savior. And now I know that my debt is paid and that heaven is my home. And if we know that reality within ourselves, how much more so should we want all of those who are around us, who live around us, who we rub shoulders with every day, how much more so should we want that for them? Sometimes it's hard and sometimes it does bring about an offense, but I promise you it is worth it. Because listen, when I stand before God one day, I don't want to say, Lord, I didn't tell Johnny down the road because I knew he, was, he would get grouchy with me. So I decided not to tell him. I'd rather tell him and old Johnny get mad at me and maybe even old Johnny cuss me out, right? But me to be able to stand before God and God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You are faithful to share the gospel. Listen, we don't share the gospel to make friends. We don't share the gospel to try to be popular. We share the gospel because every person you come in contact with is an eternal soul that is going to spend eternity somewhere. And we are taught as believers to love everyone. It doesn't matter their origin, it doesn't matter their religion, their nationality, how they talk, how they look, how much money they make. All human beings have been created in the image of God. All. And that means that every human being is of eternal value to God. And we have to remember that as we go out and as we seek to win a lost world to Jesus Christ. So we're talking about this subject of inside out. And I want us to look at two different aspects in this passage, two different aspects of God that must be addressed when we consider ourselves. Because remember the question we're asking, are we real? From the inside out, are we real? So the first thing that I want us to see in 1 John here is his purity, his being God, his purity. Because here's the thing, we have a standard. We have the gold standard, if you will, and that's God. The gold standard is his holiness, now, when we consider holiness as human beings, that is a very hard term to define because we are not in and of ourselves holy. We live in a sin-cursed world where even the most beautiful things are tainted with sin. When we think about holiness, though, we understand that in Scripture, the Bible teaches us that God is sinless. God cannot tell a lie. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. So when we think of holiness, we're able to understand holiness in terms of who we know God to be. But then when we realize that that's holiness and we've got to get there, that seems like that's a very difficult task for a sinner like me. Amen? So when we look at his purity, I want us to think about purity as this. It is the putting off of the bad stuff. Okay? So, so purity is when you get rid of the bad. Okay? I want you to think about um, a whale maybe. And I know that Hannah and I, when we had our first home after we got married... And we lived in a little single-wide trailer up, up Beaver Dam here in Candler, and we had to drill a well. And um, whenever we drilled that well, you never know quite what the water is going to look like when it comes out. 
Well, whenever we moved in, we noticed that like our toilets were turning like a reddish-brown color in the bottom. And whenever you turn on the faucet, it smelled like boiled eggs. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And that's not pleasant, especially when you wake up in the morning trying to brush your teeth and you got that sulfur smell. So I talked to, is actually another preacher friend who does this on the side, and um, he does water treatment and water purification. So he came over and he installed this unit under our trailer, and he got the water dialed in. And what it was is a purification system. It was designed to pull the junk out of the water so that when the water comes out of the spigot, it's clean and it's pure and it's ready to drink. So purity is just that. It's pulling the junk out. Well, let's read a few of these verses here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse 1, I think, is very important to this entire passage. It starts out, see what great love the Father has given us. Did you know that salvation is an act of God? That when I came to know Jesus, it was not because I was smart. It was not because I was looking really hard. It was because God, in his beautiful sovereignty and grace, intersected my life and showed me my need. Now, once he showed me my need for him and the gospel was presented to me, then it was up to me to make the choice. Am I going to say yes to him or no to him? But you know why he came to me? You know why he's come to you, those of you who know Jesus? Because he loves you. Because of his great love. You know, there's a song that Elevation sings, What a Beautiful Name. And one of, one of the lines in that song is, is that God did not want heaven without us. And there's a lot of theologians who have a big problem with that, that phrase and that line. And I, honestly, I can't understand it for the life of me. Because they say, well, that seems like a very human-centered Christianity. But when I read the Bible, I see that the reason Jesus came and died on the cross was because he didn't want heaven without us. He wanted to defeat our sin so that we could be with him. It's because of the great love that he has for us that we're even able to respond to the gospel. It's because of the great love that the Father has shown us by sending his precious son, Jesus, to die on the cross that I stand a chance to even get to go to heaven. Because, listen, Jesus could have said, you know what? No, that's, that's too much for me. I'm not going to do that. And he would still be God. He would be just as much God if he had made that choice. But he made the choice basically to take my sin and give me his holiness. To die on a criminal's cross, to be crucified, to be spit upon, to be blasphemed, to be tortured and hurt. To, to, to take a, a, a criminal's uh, punishment in front of all people. The most shameful thing that could have been done during those times for me and for you. Now, if that's not love, I don't know what is. And listen, the only reason that I can preach to you this morning that you need to be pure is because Jesus made a way for you to be pure. Because by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon the moment that you get saved, the power of God residing in you can purify you as a person. Someone who before was completely in sin, you know, I, I, was, I was to the very bottom of sin. There was no way that I could get myself out. But yet, now I can have hope and I can be pure. Because listen, the Bible is saying that we 
It says uh, in verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure, talking about God. He is the originator of purity. And if it weren't for God, purity would not be possible. If it weren't for the cross of Jesus Christ, we could not be pure today. In verse 1, it also talks about how the fact that the world does not know him. It doesn't know us because it didn't know him. You wonder, well, why did the world not know, why does the world not know us? Why did the world not know him? Remember what we spoke about last week? Uh, in, in this previous passage, we had mentioned the term antichrist, right? And we saw where the, the number one trademark of an antichrist is someone who denies the faith. They, they basically reject Jesus Christ as God, they reject the scripture as the word of God, and they reject his resurrection. So when we think about that, we understand that we do live in a world that is controlled by that mentality. Uh, the Bible teaches us that that is what's known as the spirit of the Antichrist. In other words, it's a world system. The governments of our world, the people of our world, our societies, our education systems, um, our literature, our entertainment material... All of the above is controlled by the spirit of the Antichrist. I had mentioned this last week as well, that on many of your Netflix production movies, the name Jesus is now a cuss word. You know, that instead of saying any other expletive that you can think of, they choose to say Jesus now as a cuss word. Well, listen, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is the world system that is in control right now. And when the Bible teaches us, as John is speaking to these first century Christians, he says this. He said, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The reason that people act weird when you start talking about Jesus is because they don't know him. Therefore, they don't know you. Because we are living in a place that is not going to be our forever home. We are living within a system that is not going to be the way that we are going to live forever. When we tell this world goodbye and when our day comes, when we you know, pass on and, and go to the next life, that is when we will know true life. That is when we will be truly home. You know, one thing I love about Abraham is that every time you see Abraham in the Old Testament, he's taking up his tent and he's setting it back up. He's taking up his tent and he's setting back up because he was a pilgrim. See, we're pilgrims today in this world. This is not our permanent home. And that's why we need to be careful not to get our roots too deep in the ways of this world. That's why we need to be careful not to fall into greed, not to fall into lust, not to, to focus, like Pastor Chase said a few weeks back, so much on, a, on our retirement one day. You know, we don't need to think that we've arrived at any point in this life because God has us here for a mission to see souls saved. So here we understand that and we see that we are not known in this world. We are not embraced. We are not loved. We are not welcomed in this world because this world does not know us. But you know what? When the world doesn't know you, you should take pride in that. Not that you've done anything, but that you can know you're doing something right. You know, it's like we say all the time, the devil's not going to fight anyone who's not a threat to him. If the devil's not on your back, you might be doing something wrong. But when the devil fights you, when the demonic warfare comes your way, you're doing something right because you're making somebody mad. And the one you're making mad is the one we want to make mad. Amen? So that, that's it. You know, you feel like you stick out like a sore thumb, but that's good. That's a good thing. Don't get too comfortable in this world. You keep sharing Jesus. You keep loving people and sharing with them that they can be pure, that they can reach a level of purity. So then he talks about the resurrection. 
the resurrection, he kind of talks like, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Well, you know, that's kind of the question a lot of people have in Christianity is, well, when the resurrection takes place, all the Christians, as they rise from the dead, what are we going to look like? What kind of bodies are we going to have? Well, the Apostle John says, you know what, we don't really know. But we do know this, that when we rise from the dead one day, that we're going to be like Jesus, that we're going to favor Jesus. Now, remember what this is saying is, even when it begins in verse 1 of chapter 3, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. See, the whole key here is that we are God's children, therefore we should look like God. You know, you ever see someone's children, and, and this happens all the time, but you'll see them and you're like, man, you look just like your daddy. They'll make an expression or they'll say something or maybe the way their, their head's shaped. You know, some people have like egg-shaped heads like me. Some people have little round heads. Some people have like weird-looking square heads, you know, all this stuff. But it's like, man, you look just like your daddy, man. You know, and you don't ever tell them, but you're as ugly as your daddy too. But no, I'm just playing. <laughs> but you're supposed to look like your daddy. You're supposed to look like your mama. That's not weird. That's, that, that's, that's a, a supposed thing, right? Well, in Christianity, it's the same way. We should look like Jesus, and one day we're going to be just like Jesus. One day we're going to have the holiness of God unhindered by a sinful world. But even now, we're supposed to look like our Father. We're supposed to be pure as He is pure. We are supposed to purify ourselves as He is pure. And as we march through this world, we're going to take on some dirt, we're going to take on some filth. We're going to pick up some bad habits. And we as believers, through the discernment of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, we need to be aware of how we drift. We need to be aware of what we're getting into because the Holy Spirit will give us discernment. And if we listen to him, then he'll tell us, whoa, 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 you don't need to go there. Whoa, 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 that person is going to cause you harm. And you know what? That's the process of us purifying ourselves. It's when we listen to the Holy Spirit. And we say, yes, God, I understand. I'll get away from that. And that's how we stay pure in this life. Now, am I talking about salvation here? Not at all. We can be pure because of our salvation, but our good works do not save us. However, when you're saved, your life should look more like Jesus. And if you don't look more like Jesus every day, something is wrong. Maybe you're living in sin, or maybe you've never even been saved. But that's why we're asking the question today, are we for real? Are we the same on the outside as we are on the inside? Um, in verse 3, we see that word pure, and that was kind of my focus for this point in verse 3. It's actually the Greek word hagnos, which means clean, chaste, modest, immaculate, pure from carnality, pure from every fault. Man, the purity of God is truly a high standard, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. But we're, be, we're called to be just as pure as Jesus, and we are always identified by the hope that we have in him. So we see this first part is God's purity, and purity in our lives is the absence of sin. It's the absence of impurities, okay? But then we're going to look, secondly, at his righteousness, Okay, so we've looked at his purity. Now let's look at his righteousness. Now, purity is the absence of bad things. Righteousness is the presence of good things, right? Well, we are also called to be righteous as God is righteous here in this same passage. If you'll follow with me, beginning in verse 4, the Bible says this. 
Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. I want to go back to that word in verse 4, lawlessness. It's very important here. You know, the, the Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament, you hear a lot about this thing called the law. You hear a lot about the Ten Commandments. You hear a lot about the sacrificial um, practices that the ancient Hebrews had. You hear of all these, these rules and all these things that they had to do. And a lot of times we think, well, the law must have been said so that the people could live up to it and become righteous. Did you know that that's not the purpose of the law? God did not set forth the law through Moses to the children of Israel so that they could somehow be good enough and rise to it and obey it. He knew from the beginning that they were not going to be able to obey the law. God understood that in their sinful nature and their sinful hearts, they desire evil. We as human beings, we desire sin and evil. It's just like this. If you were to be left to yourself and God was never to intervene in your life, you would always choose sin. You would always choose wickedness. The law was created in order to expose our sin. The law was created so that we would understand our inability to keep it. God never intended for man to truly keep the law in and of himself because he knew it was impossible. The King James says this instead of lawlessness. It says that sin is the transgression of the law. And basically to be in opposition to or to offensively attack the law. Listen, we do that every day, church. We are constantly fighting against the law of God. You know, what is the law of God? It's his righteousness. It's his goodness. It's who he is at the very core of his being. He is perfect and holy and cannot sin. So the Old Testament law was never meant for people to actually obey on their own. It was meant to show them their sin. I know that when I got saved, I understood full and well that I could not be good enough. I heard somebody say it like this not too long ago. They said, you've got to come to God with empty hands. When you come to get saved, don't bring anything with you. And I'm not saying, you know, we've all got sin, we've all got stuff, baggage. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about don't bring a bunch of good works that you think you've done in your life. And somehow that plus the grace of God think, okay, God, if you'll help me out a little bit, I've already got some of this stuff going. If you'll help me out, then I can be saved. No, none of it's good enough. None of your works are good enough. Nothing you've done is good enough. And you have to understand, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. There's not a person in here who could raise their hand and say, I've never sinned. There's not a person in here who could raise their hand and say that they have got it figured out. Listen, we all need Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, you come with empty hands because he's already done it all. 
He paid the price on the cross. The holiness of God is awaiting to be bestowed upon you upon your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how awesome salvation is. In verse 5, we see, we get a reason for why Jesus was revealed. Why did Jesus intersect our world in verse 5? It says, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins and there is no sin in him. Did you realize that Jesus came to this earth to save you? That God stepped out of heaven, took on a human body and human flesh, lived in this world. And let me tell you what, Jesus did not live in a mansion in ancient Israel. This was a time when the Roman Empire was was, uh, occupying that area, and the Jews suffered a lot. They were an impoverished people in a lot of ways. Jesus grew up as a poor carpenter's son, but he did it for you. Knowing that when he was 33 years old, that he would be beaten half to death and hung on a cross. He did it for you. He came in verse 5. He was revealed in verse 5 so that he might take away sins. Verse 8 says there's another reason that he was revealed. If you'll go down to verse 8. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's works. You know, Jesus can do two things at once. He saved sinners like me, and he kicked the devil's hind in all at the same time. Amen? He did two things at once. And everybody's, everybody wonders, you know, well, Ben, you know, why can't, why can't just my spirit go to heaven? Why does there have to be a resurrection? You know, you may have that question too. What is so, what's the big deal about the resurrection? Because as, as biblical Christians, we believe that when we die... Yeah, our body may be buried in a grave, but our spirit immediately goes to heaven. Uh, Paul even says to be absent from the body is to be present with the spirit. But then we believe that there's going to be a future day. Um, we believe to be the rapture when, when Jesus will come in the air and he will call all of those that are his home. And that's when we will receive our new bodies. That's when our bodies will literally rise from the dead and we will receive new glorified bodies. So what's the big deal about this resurrection? Well, think about this. I heard it explained very well one time. If God chose not to resurrect your dead body then Satan would have won something. Satan would have had a little bit of a victory because he might say, I didn't get their soul, I didn't get their eternity, but I destroyed their body. But you know what Jesus did? He rose from the dead himself. And he said, I'm the the forerunner, I'm the front runner of the resurrection because my body was resurrected. Guess what? Those who know Jesus Christ, one day your body's going to be resurrected because the devil is not even going to get the claim that he destroyed our bodies. Even those are going to be made new one day. Amen. We have a great and a mighty God. So there's those two reasons. So that he could save us. So that he could whoop the devil and put him in his place. Verse 7, we go there and he says, children. And I love how he continually refers to the believers as children. Children. There's just an intimacy and a, a special way that he words that. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Listen to me. If you know Jesus... Just like we talked about with the purity, there's an absence of wickedness and sin in your life. There needs to be a presence of righteousness in your life. You need to have a heart for God. You need to have a heart for people. If you're able to go throughout your day and never care for a lost soul, something is wrong. Now listen, I'm not trying to say that you're lost. I'm not trying to place judgment on you. But what I'm saying is is that you need to evaluate your heart. 
Because the Bible is very clear in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 that we are to make disciples of all nations. If you have trusted in Jesus, guess what? He's called you to be a disciple maker. He's called you to take the gospel to anywhere and everywhere that he calls you to. And that comes with a burden for lost people. It should hurt you. It should break your heart. It should bring you to tears to think that those people you brush shoulders with every day could die in their sin and go to an eternity in hell. Remember what the Bible says here in uh, 1 John 3, uh, verse 1? See what great love the Father has given us. Shouldn't we be about telling a lost and a dying world about the great love that the Father has given us? Verses 9 through 10, if we're going down there a little bit, we've talked a few weeks about a test. See, 1 John is, is, is a very unique book because the word, like I said before, K-N-O-W is used quite a bit throughout that bu- the book. And many times when we talk to people, we ask them about their salvation, if they know Jesus or not. They like to say, I hope so. They say, well, I hope so. You know, I, I think I've done enough good or I've been a good enough person and Listen, Christianity is not a hope-so faith, and we've got to remember that. The Bible in no way says that you should just, maybe maybe you are or maybe you're not. You either are or you are not saved this morning. And the Bible teaches us how we can know that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you can be 100% sure either way. Verse 9 and 10 is that test. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him he is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how, God, how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Now, I want to explain this very carefully, okay? This is not saying that you are going to be perfect. Okay, let's go ahead and, and figure that out, okay? It's, it's not saying that you are never going to do anything that's wrong, and if you do, you're no longer a Christian, It's talking about a practicing, abiding in, and lifestyle of sin. So if if we if if Ben, okay, let's say I begin to live in a in a lifestyle of sin and I practice it day in and day out, day in and day out. And I have my friends come to me and say, Ben, you're living wrong. Why are you doing that? Listen, man, don't worry about it. It's my life, I'll do whatever I want. And I keep on doing it. And I keep on doing it. The Bible says, I'm not a Christian. And there's a few reasons why. Number one, there's no conviction in my life. Did you hear what it said earlier? It says that his seed remains in us, okay, in uh, verse 9, because his seed remains in him. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is remaining in me and he lives in me, eventually my lifestyle of sin is going to stop. Number one, hopefully, if I choose the easy way, I'll say, yes, Lord, forgive me, and I'll turn from it. But when you're Jesus's, when you're God's, when he's paid a price of his blood for you, if you are truly his, whether you like it or not, he's going to stop your lifestyle of sin. And he's going to bring you out of it. You ever talk to someone who has a testimony of chastisement? Basically, they were Jesus's, they knew Jesus, but they refused to repent. They kept walking in sin, and God lowers the boom on them. And their life gets real, real tough for a while. Because you know what it is? It's It's not anger. It's not meanness from God. He's saying, I love you so much that I'll do whatever it takes to get you back. Have you ever prayed for one of your loved ones, God, do whatever it takes to get them out of their sin? Do whatever it takes to stop their lifestyle of destruction. Listen, I'm telling you, God will do whatever it takes to bring his children back. And if you've got someone who's living in sin year after year after year, hey, we've got to go back to 1 John and say, you're not one of Jesus's. 
the Holy Spirit doesn't abide in you and you have never been convicted or at least chastised for the sinful life that you're living in. We have to understand that. It would kind of um, almost be like this. You know, when we're looking at a Christian and someone says, I'm a Christian, they're living in this lifestyle of sin, it'd almost be like if you go and you buy a house, right? You go and you buy this house and the outside is dilapidated, the roof is all messed up, but you go inside and you, you gut it, you remodel the whole inside of the house, but you never touch the outside. So when people walk up, they're like, man, this place is falling apart, and they walk inside, it's like, man, this place is immaculate. It doesn't make sense. Same way with the Christian. We've got to stop taking people at their word. We've got to stop even fooling ourselves because I'm not so naive as to think that there could be regular attenders at Pole Creek who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But maybe you've just been riding the coattail of others or maybe you have not been serious about the question, am I real? Am I inside changed like I am on the outside? You know, Jesus was real hard on the religious elite like I said before. Jesus rebuked what was known as the Pharisees. And these were people who would spend their whole life studying the law. That would be what they just ingrained themselves in day in and day out. And they would walk around as though they were better than other people, as though they had reached a level of holiness that no one else could achieve or reach because of their intellect and and their wisdom. Well, Matthew chapter 23 is an example of how Jesus handled this crowd called the Pharisees. Beginning in verse 25, Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Later on, Jesus gets even a little more direct, if you can imagine that. Verse 15, actually it's a little bit before this, the previous one was mentioned. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. People who live lives like that truly are children of hell. And that's not making fun of them, that's not being mean to them, but it's saying that they have never trusted in Jesus. They've never trusted in his righteousness because they're too focused on their own righteousness. They're too focused on being gods themselves, and they've never submitted to the authority and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage in 1 John goes all the way back, though, to the theme of all Scripture. When we go back to the book of Leviticus, this phrase is used several times. God says this to the children of Israel in the wilderness. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Listen, the whole problem... This whole book is about God reconciling a lost and a dying people to himself. It's about fixing what got messed up in the Garden of Eden. And when you go to Revelation, you go to the final chapters of Revelation, you find out that the new heaven and the new earth is Eden reborn. It's essentially God fulfilling his plan all along to dwell with his people unadulterated, 
unhindered, with no sin involved. And that's what the work of the cross has been about. The work of the cross has been about God reconciling us through his holiness, through his righteousness, and through his sacrifice. The book of Hebrews says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Did you know that our sin is so gross and so horrible and so terrible that it took the blood of the innocent Lamb of God to wash it away? That's how ugly sin is today. So the question you might be having is, Ben, I understand God's purity. I understand God's righteousness. I understand that it's a standard that I can never live up to. So how can I be radically transformed from the inside out? It's as simple as believing in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Understanding that you are a sinner, that you can't do it on your own, and that Jesus paid the price for you on the cross. And that today you can have his righteousness. Let's pray.